everyone. Can you guys hear me? Okay, good. <laughs> it's so nice to see all of you here this morning. There's so many of you. And for those of you at home watching, it's good to see you too. <laughs> um, I have a few. I heard that. Who said that? Don't pay attention. <laughs> I have a few announcements for you guys this morning. But before I start, my mom is watching from home. And I just want to say happy birthday because today's her birthday. Happy birthday. Not technically, she's February 29th, baby, but we celebrate today anyway because there's not a 29th this year. You don't year. want to say how old she is. No. Okay. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> All right, announcement time. Um, the men's ministry is going to have a socially distanced breakfast on March 20th at 8.30 a.m. Um, there's going to be lots of prayer and lots of food. That should be fun. And then the prayer ministry. If you ever need prayer, there's prayer request forms up on the website on the contact page. And your prayer request will be submitted directly to the prayer ministry, ministry team. Um, and you can also ask for prayer by emailing prayer at goldrivercalvarychapel.com. The Tuesday morning, men, excuse me, Tuesday morning men's group will continue in the book of Revelation this Tuesday at 9 a.m., and then a midweek Bible study with Pastor Manny will continue in the Gospel of John this Wednesday online. And then the Friday night men's Bible study will continue in the book of Hebrews this Friday at 6.30 p.m. And the pastor devotionals are all on Facebook. There's three new devotions each week, and there's usually a link on the website or the Facebook page. And then the food ministry, if you would like to donate to our pantry or prepare food for families in need, you can contact Tina Foster. She's around here somewhere. There she is. <laughs> and then if you can listen to our GRCC services and the midweek teachings on Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. That's pretty cool. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And then if you're not receiving regular communications from our church, you might not be on the email or texting list. So you can sign up through Dave Clemens at Dave at GoldRiverChapel.com or find him around the church somewhere. And then finally, there are some Bibles that are missing their owners. So if you're missing a Bible, um, please look for Dana or you can email her at Dana at GoldRiverChapel.com. That's all my announcements. Thanks. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> Good, morning. Good morning. If you will turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 119 and just dig in because we're going to go through all of them. <laughs> I'll stop at 8, okay? We're going to look at uh, 119, verse uh, 1 through 8. So. Delight in God's word. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. Glory to God. Please join me in prayer. 
Father, we are yours, and we are so thankful for your word, for the word of God. We're thankful for Jesus, that you have saved us with his precious blood, with the love of God. We thank you. As we move into this service today, Lord, let your anointing be upon us. Let us hear your word, Lord. Be with George as he delivers your word, Lord. We are in anticipation for what you're going to do today. We love you, and we thank you, and we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Thank you.
clap, stand up, sit down, shout out. Praise God. We're worshiping the Lord. Amen.
every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart.
Father, thank you that song, God, that can ring in our hearts. It's a song we could sing in, uh, in heaven, Father, and we thank you for that, Lord. 24-7, 365, Lord. Mm. Just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Good morning. You know, it just occurred to me at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, you were all up, weren't you? <laughs> God has blessed us with such an amazing worship team. I'm going to tell you their names because I don't even know if you know everybody. Kenny Alms right here on bass. The man that holds it all together right here, Chris Amato. Ryan Farrington on backup guitar. Uh, let me think. Let me think. <laughs> Patrick Boylan, our worship leader. We are so blessed. We are just so blessed. Oh. Can we have a close-up here, please? That's like the hot dog 
This is the lady that has the angelic voice. Amen, amen. Danielle. Would you stand and, and greet one another, but do it very, very carefully. I'm so, I can't believe I forgot you. I know. So, There's no S at the end of my name. It's just Alm, like calm. Oh, oh, okay. That's okay. Well, I was thinking of Alms, you know. Two of me there would be. Do I write it with Alm or Alms on your chest? All right. <laughs> All right, you guys ready to get in the word here? It's not like you haven't seen each other in a year or something. I mean, come on. <laughs> All right. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us to study your Word, to worship you, to proclaim your truth to all that are here this morning, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, and I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would speak through me and that your truth would go out in power, Lord, and that it would reach hearts and that lives would be changed, Lord, that all who hear this would know that they want to know Jesus even more. Those that don't know him would want to know him at least in the beginning, Lord. But all of us, Lord, praise you and thank you, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's children said, amen. amen. This morning we are continuing in our remarkable story of Joseph in Genesis 42 this morning. Genesis 42. Last week we saw Joseph being brought up from prison, amazingly, and brought to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, to interpret the king's dreams. He was the only one who could interpret the dreams. And he told Pharaoh that the dreams meant some incredible things. They meant that there would be a seven-year period of great plenty and great abundance. And then, following that, there would be a great famine. Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that he said in verse 38 of chapter 41, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? That just amazes me every time I read that, that this pagan king recognizes that the Spirit of God, the true Spirit of the living God, is in Joseph. It's the first time that that is mentioned, that the Holy Spirit has come upon a man or a, or a person, man or woman, in the Bible. It's the first time. And so then Joseph proceeds to explain to Pharaoh not only what the, what the uh, dreams mean in interpreting the dreams, but then he says, this is how you should manage and lead this country 
both in the seven years of abundance and then the seven years of famine. Just took this leap of, you know, kind of like, let me just tell you how to run your country. I was in prison yesterday. Today I'm going to tell you how to run your country. It's kind of like our electoral system, it seems to me. He said <laughs> that the dreams, Joseph said that the dreams are a message from God. And again, Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he makes Joseph the prime minister of the entire country. So in one day, in one day, he goes from prison to being the second most powerful man really on the planet, certainly in the known world at that time. And so now as we open to chapter 42, the time of abundance has passed. It's gone. And now we're in the beginning of a famine. So I'll read from uh, 42, 1 through 4. While Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. So go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. And so 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. So the chapter begins with Jacob, suddenly appears again in the, in the narrative here, and he's learned that there's grain in Egypt. There isn't any grain in Canaan, apparently. The famine is already severe, and the whole region beyond Egypt is in a severe famine. And apparently Jacob and his sons didn't prepare for the famine. Maybe they didn't even know what was happening or what was going to happen. They seem to have enjoyed, though, the years of plenty, you know? And like they've got a bunch of money now. So go down and buy grain in Egypt. But then I wonder something. There's these 10 brothers. And what are they thinking when Jacob says, go down to Egypt? No doubt their brother Joseph came immediately to their minds. They'd sold him, if you recall, to the Ishmaelites, and he was sent down to Egypt to be a slave. Now, it's been about 20 years, but there's no way, there's no way that they'd forgotten what they'd done to their brother Joseph. And we're going to see that, and we're going to see that that memory is wearing and wearing and wearing badly on their conscience. The Apostle Paul says that everyone has a conscience. He says in Romans 2.15, God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. 
And here, the consciences of these brothers were accusing them. And then Paul says in Acts 24, 16, I love this. He says, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience. Good idea, don't you think? Takes pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. I like the fact that he says it takes pains to have a clear conscience. We're going to see what that's all about. Clear conscience is a beautiful thing, is it not? But for 20 plus years, these brothers were holding on to a deep, dark secret, a horrendous sin that they had committed, and they committed it against their brother Joseph. It's a painful way to live. And look again at what Jacob says to his his sons in verse 1. He says, why do you look at one another? Did you see that? Why are you looking at one another when I say go down to Egypt? And you just, you all just stand there and you have that strange look at face. I mean, these guys weren't hiding it. They just look at each other. And I believe that's a telltale sign of a really guilty conscience at that moment. It's an awful thing to live with a guilty conscience. I've done it. Am I the only one? Oh, there's another hand or two or three or 20 or 40. Okay. We can relate. Their secret, their brother's secret had been festering in them for over 20 years. What do you think it was like in that family when the name of Joseph came up? Around the dinner table, maybe, huh? Again, I think that they would all grow quiet, and they kind of look down, you know, and then out of the corner of their eye, they kind of look at each other. Maybe they'd think, I wish the old man would just stop bringing up Joseph. He's bringing him up all the time. But now there's a famine in the land, and they have no choice. They have to go to Egypt to buy grain. (laughs) This is God at work. God, in his providence, is essentially sending them down to Egypt, ostensibly to buy grain. But there's more to the story. And in this story, we're going to be be given a glimpse of how God works. He's simultaneously working on this food problem, and he's also, at the same time, working on a heart problem. So Jacob sends them down to Egypt, but notice it says in verse 4 that he would not let them take Benjamin. He's, Benjamin is now the new favored son. Joseph was the first favored son, the son of Rachel. But so now Benjamin, like Joseph, is also the son of Rachel, and he's now become the new favored son because Jacob believes that Joseph is dead. It's not a good idea to have favored sons and daughters, by the way. Reading on, verse 5, Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. 
Verse 6, now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. What a scene. Imagine Joseph standing there. He looks like an Egyptian. He's He's been shaven, he's wearing Egyptian clothing, it's been 20 years. And I think all that time, especially during this time of famine when he knows that people would be coming for grain, that he's watching very closely at all of those that come to him from Canaan. I believe that he was anticipating something. I think he knew they would have to come. Somebody from that family would have to come and that he would see his brothers. And here they are. And what are they doing? They're bowing themselves, not just bowing with some obligatory bow, some little thank you very much bow. No, this is a serious bowing. This is a highly respectful face to the ground bowing. Joseph, verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said, and they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Now, you know, it says that he spoke roughly to them. I just want you to remember the kinds of men that these brothers are. They're not little namby-pamby guys. If you remember back in uh, chapter 34, what did they do? They went into Shechem, the city of Shechem, and killed every man there. These guys are tough guys, very tough guys, mean guys, not nice. So it says, he spoke roughly to them. That's nothing to this, guys. But they're kind of put off by it. But it's such a moment in Joseph's life. He recognizes his brothers. Surely they've grown older. It's been 20 years. But he recognizes them immediately. I I couldn't help but think about my 20th high school reunion. Everybody else had gotten so old. It's like, what's wrong with these people? Who are you guys? It's kind of like that, you know? He speaks roughly to them. And I'm sure he's flooded with thoughts, Joseph is, and feelings. But he doesn't give anything away. And the brothers are trying to make a good impression on this powerful man who holds the very food source of life in his hands. And they bow down to the ground, just as Joseph had dreamed that they would bow so many years ago. That was the dream that started the whole thing of of capturing him and throwing him into the pit and then eventually selling him. It's that dream. You think we're going to bow down to you? Yeah, you will. Verse 8, and Joseph 
recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. God is all about recognizing him. How do we recognize God? How do we recognize God in our lives? Here, Joseph is in complete control. It seems like he's playing with them, as it says that he speaks roughly with them and treats them like strangers. But I don't think he's being, I don't want you to think that he's being vindictive with them. Because remember, what did we, what did we learn last week? That God's Holy Spirit is working in Joseph. God's Holy Spirit is guiding Joseph. If Joseph were left on his own, like any of us were left on our own, who knows what we would do? He may not have even known what to do with his brothers without the Holy Spirit. So many things must have been going on in his mind. He might have killed them. He could have. Or he could have just said, you know, you want grain? (laughs) The grain is going to cost you so much that you won't even be able to afford this grain. Or he could have just sold it to them and said, go on, get out of here. But that's not what happened. And notice again what he says in verse 8. He says, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Joseph sees them. He sees them in a sense as God would have seen them. Why do I say that? Well, because he knows something about them, doesn't he? He knows that there is a deep, dark, hidden secret in each of these brothers. But the brothers, they just see an Egyptian ruler. They're completely blind to who they're really talking to. You know, if if you're like me, I hope you aren't in some ways, but if you're like me, there was probably a time when you were not able to see God. That that is, that you weren't able to see God working in your life. But now, you accepted Jesus, and he's opened your eyes. And what happens when that happens? You see him everywhere. Everywhere you look, you see him. And miraculously, we recognize at that moment in our lives and from then on that everything is of God. It's a complete transformation of how we see. Here's the simple truth. Jesus recognized us long before we ever recognized him. Jesus knows all about us. He knew all about us long before we knew about him. He knows us and loves us. He loves us warts and dark secrets and all. Joseph knew the deep, horrendously dark secret that these brothers had tried so deeply to suppress deeply for so many years. I don't know if you're burdened with a dark secret, something that you've been living with for a long time. It can be such a huge weight, and you would never want people to know this thing. 
this thing that I did, this person that I used to be or maybe still am. And I just can't let it out or my whole world would just collapse. And you may feel like, I've got to live a double life. But if that's you, I have good news for you. Here's what I want you to know. The biggest part of your burden is not what other people think of you. They may always be critical, always be judgmental. The hardest part is how do I live with myself, with that conscience that I would love to be clear? And if you're like me, you mourn over your past sins. And you say things like, how could I have been like that? How, I, I'm just so rotten to the core. If that's you, if that's you, there's only one way to relieve that kind of heavy guilt. Take it to Jesus. He died for you on the cross, carrying your sin and my sin. He carried our sin with him there. Brothers and sisters, take it to Jesus. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus knows us and loves us, but he doesn't stop there. That's the beautiful thing. He wants to cleanse us, and he wants to transform us into his likeness. It's wonderful to be forgiven, and it's even more wonderful to be transformed. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you know that verse? When we confess to Jesus, we stand in front of him, it says, with an unveiled face, no masks. Just, just who we are, everything, everything we've done, and who we are, this is who I am. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Change me from the inside out. And he will. He will forgive you, and he will cleanse you, and he will change you, and he will work in you by his spirit. As he told the woman that was caught in adultery in John 8, 11, he said, neither do I condemn you. Isn't that wonderful? Neither do I condemn you. You know what the penalty for adultery was in that day? Death. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. 
Go and sin no more. The only way that can happen is by Jesus and his spirit living in you and changing you day by day from one degree of glory to another, it says. So spectacular. Why would you not want Jesus in your life? Jesus wants you to come to him. He wants you to come to him with every single need you have. Don't hold back back at all. I mean, we have physical needs. Yes, of course. He knows that. But know this. He wants to do more than take care of your physical needs. He wants to give you something for the darkness in your soul and in my soul. He wants to unbind your heart. He wants to make you free of any darkness that's still dwelling in you. He's saying to each of us right now, you no longer have to try to hide your secret from me. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, he says, come to me, who all, who, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's such a powerful word, rest. I will give you rest. I was thinking about that at three o'clock in the morning, actually. That's the great, beautiful meaning of that verse for me. Is that he says, I will give you rest because only in Christ, only if you are in Christ, can you truly have tr- true rest, deep rest. You can't even truly rest if you're carrying that secret sin festering in you. You can't rest trying to live a double life. No. Come to Jesus, and he will lift that burden from you. And you can leave the past behind. That's so beautiful. Paul says, leave it behind and be in Christ, not just today, but forever. Forever. Reading on verse 9, and Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And when Joseph saw his brothers bowing down to him, he remembers that dream. He knows at that moment, he's absolutely certain, seeing them bow to him and just fulfilling that dream, he knows that this is all about the Lord, that the Lord is totally in this, that they're actually bowing down, and he knows that the Lord has made all of this happen. And then he says in the rest of that verse, verse 9, he says, you are spies, You have come to see the nakedness of the land. What does that mean? It means, well, you've come to pry into all of the important things that are happening in this country. And then verse 10, they said to him, no, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. And he said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Those last four words, they had to sting when, when Joseph heard that. One is no more. He, of course, is the one, is he not? And he's standing right in front of him, them. And by the way, a lot of people will tell you, you know, Jesus was a great man. Yeah, a great moral teacher or whatever. 
But now he's dead. He is no more. There is no way that he was resurrected from the dead. It's an impossibility. Foolishness. Oh, but he's not dead. <laughs> Just because you say he's dead doesn't make him dead. It's well documented in Scripture. It's well documented in my life. And I know it's well documented in your life. We are not the same. And that's only because he's been resurrected. And his spirit lives in us. Peter says in his great sermon at Pentecost, in, Acts, in, in the book of Acts, he says, God raised him up. God raised him up. This is a man who had eyeballs on all of that. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's our Lord. Jesus is alive, and he is in our midst right now, brothers and sisters. Reading on verse 14, but Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. So why does he call them spies? Why does he now put his brothers through all of this stuff? Why is he acting like this with his brothers? It's a great question. Is it because he feels like being vindictive and just wants them to suffer? I don't think so. I've already told you. I think the Holy Spirit is working through him, purposefully directing him. But to what end? What's, why is Joseph doing it this way? Why is the Holy Spirit directing him this way? Let's read on. Joseph continues in verse 15. He says, By this you shall be tested. Oh, they will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. He's talking about Benjamin. Send one of you and let him bring your brother. And while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. I just think that's so cool. I want you guys just to go into prison for a few days and think. So they're in prison. I, I don't know. It doesn't say, but I, I'm, I'm thinking it might even be the same prison he was in. And there they are. And Joseph says they're going to be tested. But it's not the test that they think he's referring to. It's actually because the Holy Spirit is involved in this. It's a test of their heart. We're going to see that. It's a test of their conscience. This is the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows what they will be thinking about as they are in their prison. Verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. He's confirming that he knows God and that he's being directed by God. Verse 19, and he says, If you're honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined 
where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother back to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. So the brothers hated the first favored son, right? Joseph. Now, Joseph wants to see how they will treat the new favored son. Verse 21, and they said to one another, and they're speaking in Hebrew, in truth, look at this, you guys, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. They're talking about when they'd thrown him in the pit. He begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Guilty conscience is just gushing out of them right now. They have to go into prison for a couple of days to really get real with themselves, if you will. Then verse 22, and Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? Well, he kind of has an interesting memory, doesn't he? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. So we see the first signs of a conscious conscience that is awakening inside of these, these men. And Reuben admits their guilt in order to receive the great gift of God's graceful forgiveness. You have to look right at the sin in you. You have to look right at it and confess it to him. What the Bible calls conversion is when a person says, from the deepest part of their being, I am flat out guilty, and I deserve death for my crimes. And Jesus, I need you to forgive me. You're the only way. And of course, that's the good news. He will. Don't miss this, guys. It's so interesting that the one person that they had offended is the very one now who holds their life in his hands. Does that remind you of anybody? Isn't that a picture of our Lord Jesus? That every time I sin, I have offended him. Remember David said, forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned against you. Every sin, we have offended him. He is the one now, though, who holds my life in his hands. Verse 23, they did not know that Joseph understood them. Whoa, that's like having a mic on and you don't know it's on. I've had that happen. They didn't know he understood And he hears them essentially confessing their guilt. For there was an interpreter between them. So he was using this interpreter. He didn't need an interpreter. Then verse 24, then he turned away from them and he wept. That just just gets me. 
He turns away, weeping, just trying to get a hold of himself. And then continuing, it says, and then finally he does, and he returned, it says, and continuing in verse 24, to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. And this was done for them. And then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and they departed. So off they go, back to Canaan, back to their father Jacob. Now, did you notice this? He didn't just give them the grain that they paid for. What else did he do? He gave them a daily provision, absolutely. Lord's Prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread. So they had a provision to get home with. And he also gave them what else? Their money back. <laughs> it's a gesture of love. Even though it certainly was not what they deserved. It's amazing generosity. Let's read on, verse 27. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, guess what? He saw his money in the mouth of his sack. It's just a stunning moment for this brother, verse 28. And he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. This next reaction is just amazing. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned, trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? Well, they know God's in this, but they just don't understand what God is doing. They can't understand why Joseph would be so generous. I think they're thinking something like, Okay, something else is going on here. It's exactly what's happened to many of us, is it not? That we look at the generosity of our Lord Jesus. He just says, come to me, all of you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will forgive you. I will do all of these things for you. I, in fact, died for you so that you could live that he redeemed us by his own life. By, he lavishes his love on us. His generous, generosity is unbounded. I just, my prayer is, oh, if this unbelieving world would just see the love of God. It's amazing to me that such a great, generous gift can seem so ominous to people. So they just so want to rebel against it, deny that it even exists. This is how the brothers are thinking. Even believers don't accept God's gracious gift all the time. They think, some of them think that they have to work for it. Really, if you think you have to work for God's grace, it's really saying, you're really saying to him, well, I want to work for it so that I own it. If we're honest, wouldn't we say that most of our prayers are for the grain? Yeah. 
We stop at, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I'm too busy to pray the rest of that prayer. Or help me with a particular problem that I have at work or in a relationship. And he will. He will respond to that. I don't want you to not pray that. But he has so much more for us. That's what this story is telling us. It's telling us that we need need to dig deeper into that sack, which I call grace. Dig deep into that. Because God has so much for us. It's mysterious. It's wonderful. It's God's loving kindness. It's his grace, his great grace. And these brothers, they're just perplexed and fearful. They say, what is God doing to us? They're actually seeing this as God's punishing them. They think that because they think this, you know, why are they thinking this? They're thinking this because they're guilty. No, people live that way all the time. Oh, you know, I had a flat tire driving down the freeway. It's because of what I did an hour before, and God's punishing me. And it's like the whole, your whole life is just, you know, repeating and repeating those things. I'm just guilty, I'm just guilty, I'm just guilty, I'm just guilty, and I never confess this sin and never confess that sin, and God's punishing me. Well, then confess it. God is working so powerfully right now on their hearts. I mean, think of it this way. If if this, this particular brother had a deceptive heart when he saw that money, the first brother, maybe he would have hid the money. You know? Can you imagine the brother pulling the money out of the sack and he looks around and everything is cool. You know, <laughs> or or maybe he makes up a story like you know. Oh yeah, I didn't tell you. I had an extra sack of money, and uh, I just kept it. Maybe these thoughts were running through his mind. I don't know. Verse twenty-nine. When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, "The man, the lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land." But we've said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take the grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, and then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. Verse 35, as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, had, and when, and when they and their father saw their bundles of money... They were afraid. 
They're freaked out. They never checked the other sacks until then, when they get back to Canaan. I would have checked my sack. Wait a second, you got something, I'm checking mine. But they didn't. And there's, brothers, there's brothers just wondering, who is this guy, Joseph? Or whatever, they, he wasn't going by Joseph in that. He dispenses the bread of life to us. And then essentially he says, you can't pay me for this. Your money's no good here. I know your needs, not just your physical needs, food, clothing, money, etc. But I know your true deep needs. I know your needs for forgiveness. I know your needs for a heart change. But you can't work for it. And you can't pay me for it. It's my gift to you. That's Jesus' invitation. It's his invitation to everyone. Yet there's treasure awaiting us. Just go deep with Jesus. Reach down deep into Jesus. Let his spirit bring you deep into Jesus. That's what God's Holy Spirit is doing in each of, of us. Teaching us about Jesus. Teaching us to trust him. Verse 36, and Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. You know, Joseph has always been about himself, you know. No, it's all about me. And then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. Verse 38, but he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. Wait a second. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Well, <laughs> it's just another example of the weirdness of this family. <laughs> Jacob has nine sons in addition to Benjamin, but he's acting like they don't exist. He really doesn't want Benjamin to go. And he's just fearful and he's despondent and he feels like, he, you know, I don't know if he feels this way, but I think he does. He's got a feeling sorry for himself. You know, I've been a good man. I've done what you wanted me to do, Lord. And I've lost my favorite son. And now I'm living in a famine. And, and now they want to take my new favorite son. Yes. That's how this chapter ends. Kind of like on a down note. You want to, he's angry with God. You know, God never asks us to do anything that he would not do. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die for us, 
so that we may live. Jacob, you need to think about this thing. So we leave this strange family for the moment. They're wondering what to do next. Jacob is vowing. (laughs) He will not let Benjamin out of his sight. He's like the the classic helicopter parent. I'm not going to let Benjamin out of my sight. You can't take him. Well, Jacob, we'll see about that. What's God going to do? And what about the secret sin that these brothers are still holding on to? Still with them, isn't it? Well, we'll have to wait till next time. (laughs) Let me just... Let me just say one final thing about secret sins. I want you all to take this to your heart, okay? If if you're suffering from something like this, there is no evil that you have ever done that the Father's love cannot pardon and cover and forgive. There is no sin that is a match for his grace. Because God doesn't match our sin with his grace. No, he overmatches our sin with his amazing grace, brothers and sisters. So I tell you right now, whoever you are, whatever's happening in your life, go to him. He is there for you. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Worship team, come on up. Oh, gracious Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your your word. Lord, in all that you do in our lives, we thank you for knowing us and forgiving us at the same time. Scripture says, Jesus, you said that you are the way. And you are the way, Lord. You are the way to joy and life abundant. You are the way to forgiveness. You are the way to the greatest love we could ever know. And so, Lord, this week, I pray for each and every person that they would take whatever it is that's weighting them down, whatever sin, whatever it is, they take it to Jesus. I pray that for myself as well, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this time in your word. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's children said, amen.
Wonderful worship team. We love you all. God bless you. Have a great week.